Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I'm excited to announce two things. First is that my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, is now live on Amazon. So go get it. The second thing is we have a new sponsor, Qualified.com. I'm going to tell you about them in the next couple seconds here and also how you can get a free copy of my book thanks to them. So who are these people? Well, Qualified is the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Sales reps can have real-time personalized conversations with who? Your hottest website visitors. So I want you to know, I don't just partner with anyone. I genuinely love these guys and the platform, we use it at my company. Our sales team loves it. We've closed a lot of deals based on it. Um, had a lot of great conversations with prospects too. So, you know, a lot of marketing these days is what? Hurry up and wait, right? Fill out this form. And then if we pass you over to sales, maybe you'll swap six emails with them to find a good time to talk. But what if a prospect is doing research right now and they would chat now? Why not give them the opportunity? So the best part is your company actually decides what leads are worth a live chat. There's a lot of noise out there. You don't want to talk to everyone. So Qualified actually connects to Salesforce and Pardot, and it's able to pull in lead and contact information. So you can specifically know if you're talking to a VIP, a VP, a decision maker. It's really kind of like magic. Now, if you don't know who someone is, well, what happens then, Casey? Well, that's when the bots come in handy. Chatbots can then ask you know, questions to further qualify a lead. Find out if maybe this is someone you do want to talk to. And they can book meetings while your sales team is out. And they can wake up the next morning with a bunch of meetings on their calendar. Now, here's the promo. If you are a company that wants to give your sales team this ability, right, to be able to talk to decision makers right when they're on your website, do this. Go to qualify.com and start a chat, right? They use their own tool, of course. Start a chat. Tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last. So hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. All right. With that, we are live. And I am stoked to introduce our guest today entrepreneur, marketer, author, thought leader, life hacker. The guy really understands what it takes to make sales and marketing successful. He's been actually named a top sales expert by both Salesforce, that has sales in the name, right? And Inc., author of multiple books, contributor to Forbes, podcast host, holy cow, the whole show is just going to be an introduction, founder and CEO of Sales Hacker, acquired by Outreach, now the vice president of marketing at Outreach, Max Altshuler. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. Man, you're so busy. You're doing so many things. Yeah, you know, it's it's been crazy. Um, I never really had, I'd love to say that I had all this planned out and like had this, you know, strategy, <laughs> yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think a lot of my career, I just, I went with the flow. I always had a growth mindset and I let that kind of, you know, take me through some of the, the doors that opened and it was like, right. oh, let's see what this let's see what we can do here why not let's see what we can do here so five things i should have said no to and uh you know learn lessons the hard way but i think uh it's the most fun way to do it and in some cases the only way to do it right when you don't have access to the resources of the mentors or whatever you need that, so that was like a crazy journey we're gonna have to get into the journey how it happened all that good stuff uh but you know this is our marketing leadership series this is also understanding sales and marketing alignment really just smashing the the myths on all these different topics. So I want to start the show off by passing you this thing. Hold on. It's actually kind of heavy. I've been working out though. All right, here you go. This is Thor's hammer. Go ahead. Take that. You got it. Yeah, I got it. Cool. Hey, smash for me some kind of myth bogus strategy that just drives you crazy. You want to set the record straight once and for all. Yeah. Um, biggest one is not everything needs to be measured. Not everything needs to be grounded in data some things lots of things are, are gut feel or understanding your audience um and, and and really seriously about understanding your audience 
you can sit there and go um, line up a bunch of agencies that are going to tell you, you know, uh, academically, here's how you should be thinking about this right. solution or whatever it is, or positioning or uh, lead generation campaign or whatever. And you can, um, you know, look at all the data from past campaigns and all do all that research. And that's great. And you should, you should definitely do your research and definitely make sure things are data back. But sometimes, um, you know, you, you don't need it. Sometimes not everything has to be, I'd say 80% is a, is a, is a good number. 80% of stuff is probably data backed. And then there's gotta be that 20% that's like, I get, I get my customer. It's a gut feel. Right. Yeah. I, I see that. It's like this analysis paralysis. Where does this come from? Where, and how does this happen where we get stuck, where we don't want to do anything unless we can find a data point on it. And, um, well, where does it come from? Um, being able to justify why you did something when it fails. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. feel that they have trust from their organization the way they, they probably should. And there's a good reason for it, right? It's the shortest tenured, uh, you know, uh, what, title? Um, yeah. function. So and, and you're in it now. Are you nervous? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but uh, I do more... I'm probably, you know, 50% marketing, 50% sales. And they say the death of the CMO is the CRO, right? So uh, I'd like to say I'm in a, a pretty good position in between uh, the integration of sales and marketing. But I do think that for most VP of marketing or CMOs, marketing leaders, uh, they've got to hit a revenue number and they've got to be able to justify the decisions that they make. Um, and for larger companies, um, a lot of times it's about keeping your leader happy. And so, like, what's the best way to do that? Oh, well, here's the data that says this is the right thing to do. Um, and they like to be able to, to, to justify those things yeah. in that way. So if you, if you say to somebody, oh, I, I just went with it because I thought, like, that's what our customers needed and it didn't work, then, you know, your ass is on the line. Yeah. And here's all the data I collected and it didn't work, but, like, I did all, my, I did all the work up front. Then, like, at least you've got... Um, something to fall back on, which is like, hey, it wouldn't work for anybody. Look, we did all the research. We did all the, the digging. I think the key is to understand what things do you need to be data, back, data backed or, um, you know, done from an academic perspective and what things are done from a gut feel and an understanding of your customer base. How do you draw that line of what needs to be data backed and what, what's that gut feel, the 80-20 line? I think it's a lot of experience, like understanding what are the what what things from an experience standpoint are um, you know moving the needle? Like where are we putting our resources right now? Should we run run another campaign on X, Y, and Z? Or um, you know this is just a topic that keeps coming up in a community I'm in. Should we run a campaign on that? This happens to be yeah. a really topic that people are talking about. One is going with the data, which is saying like yeah, keep doubling down on that campaign. It's working. The other one is well, this one might work better because I know my customer and I'm in the communities where they are. I'm having the conversations that they're having. Um, you know, we, we're, we're picking a name for something. How do you end up picking a name for something? Well, we could go through and see like which, which ones of these, uh, oh, a four letter word typically is more attractive than a seven letter word. <laughs> we could do that all by data or right. you can pull your, you know, your audience, your community and say, Hey, you know, how does this sound? Or like, could I imagine my ideal customer saying this and taking it seriously and like plugging it seriously? Right. So I think there, there are a couple of ways to do it. And it's a lot of it is, you know, finger on the pulse. It's through, through the experience that you gain over time to understand what are those things that you should go out on a limb for and, you know, have that gut feel for. And then what are those things that are, uh, you know, that you need to do that's rooted in data? Yeah, I mean, makes sense, right? I mean, something, especially if you're trying something new, you may not have data on that. Like, I don't know, we've never done this before, but it seems like our customers really like these community events and maybe we should do one. Field events is a good way, uh, is, a, is a really good bucket for this. It's like, well, I can understand how effective a conference might be for us by asking other partners what kind of data they have, by asking yeah. the actual vendor, um, you know, what percent of your audience is X, Y, and Z. And those are all great ways to, to make a, a data back decision and for field marketing you're going to make that probably more than 80 percent of the time you're going to say these guys have our target audience and um our you know partner vendor has done has done really well there 
we've got all the data we need to say like we should do this event but yeah. there needs to be a subset of your budget where it's like you know these guys are up and coming they've, they've got a really good voice um it's not exactly like the target target audience yet but it could be really interesting and influential to our target audience like let's test this and that's why you have to take a sliver out of your your larger you know field marketing budget to do those tests to see if there's something there um and, and makes it even more important to nail it with the other 80% that you do spend. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The part you can measure, like be sure that you're using this, the data properly to make sure it, you're good so that you can afford to have the 20% test that you're not sure of just yet. Yeah, exactly. It's cool. And I can see where the, the cover your ass kind of thing, the CYA where it's like, well, I did some research and it's kind of, it's like a little lifeline to say that at least you did the research instead of just going off a of gut feel. But, you know, I, I don't know if any of the, the major unicorn sites that we know of today were, you know, research projects or if that was just kind of like, let's build a website or a service and try this out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, I, I think some of the best marketers that are out there definitely throw some stuff at the wall and, and they, uh, you know, know, intimately know their customer. Yeah. And then there's the, the what I see a lot of times is like newer marketers that come into organizations that don't know the customer yet, try to do th two things, try to do things too quickly and they miss because they don't know the, they don't know the customer yet. I was, uh, I was yeah. on Twitter today and somebody was like, uh, marketers don't in the first month in the first quarter, don't redo the website. And it's like the, the thing that like VP, I saw that too. Yeah. CMOs want to do that every time, every time, every time it's like, all right, we got to do the site. And, the reason that they want to do it so fast, I believe, is that it's a uh, something that's tangible that they could point to to the CEO of the board and say, like, look, we're making progress. Right. But they don't know their customer yet. No. So they have to wait. So it's this, it's you know, this balance where it's like, hey, you want to show results, things are happening quickly in marketing, and that's hard to do. It really is to show like a tangible result that quick from something that you've done in marketing. Like you could drive pipeline, but that might not turn into revenue until, you know, a couple quarters down the road. Um, so they, they all look to the doing the website first. They don't know the customer yet. Related to that is that, or change out their tech stack, right? Let's do a new marketing automation platform or a new, oh, this as like a tangible, oh, well we migrated all these busy work, you know, but to your point, you don't know the customer and, and there's gotta be some kind of, danger going too much for that ROI too soon, right? Like, um, does it make just for gross marketing or, you know, like icky? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, uh, typically, it's the site still has a lot of A-B testing to do and a lot of work to do and a lot of messaging changes to do and all that kind of stuff. So it ends up being a much longer project, a much more expensive project than if they had waited. So, you know, you still see that happening. It's, yeah. it's clockwork. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, a couple times now you've mentioned that really people go astray, they're going down the wrong path, and then really what they should have done like four or five times now is like understood who their customer is, gotten to know, like step number one, get to know who your customer is. How do you approach that? How do you get to know the customer day one to, you know, 90 on the job kind of thing? Yeah. Um it's tough. I, I, I think everyone, so I'm a big community guy. So I think every, com, every company should have their own customer community and that should be like their kind of single source of truth type thing for their, like how their customers, how their prospects are um, thinking, feeling, you know, you name it. I also think that every, uh, every marketing organization is now a media company. And one of the strongest things you can have is an evangelist, slash like thought leader internally their job is literally customer development and then taking that customer development coming back to the organization and then figuring out how to build research on top of that so whether it's data from your platform or um running like benchmarking surveys yeah. it's based off what customers are feeling so for example you can go back to your customer base after you hear you know right now perfect timing covid era we're all work from home we're all scared about the economy all that you can understand what customers are feeling about covid 
by speaking to your community. Then go out there and do a poll or like a benchmarking survey, you know, five, 10 questions where you ask your audience and your prospects and everybody what they're feeling about something. Then come out with a report based on um, what your audience is feeling. Now you're creating thought leadership for your brand, but also some of the things that you've learned uh, being an, an expert or a leader in this space. So for example, at Outreach, we can couple the fact that people are going through a, a tough time right now and they're having all sorts of pains because of that with some of the great ways that companies are responding to those pains. So we can go out and talk to our customers, see what, they're care, what they care about, what they're thinking about, bring it back to the rest of our base and our prospects, ask them to chime in on the questions, create a report out of that and then supplement the report with, you know, Oh, people are worried about uh, changing their messaging right now and they have to roll it out quickly to the entire team because there needs to be a more empathetic message. And then we can supplement that question and those responses with like, Oh, here are the best practices that we're seeing that people are, are doing while using our product. And you don't have to be using outreach in order to get the benefits out of the answer to that question. Right. When you, when you you know, read it, you know who the source of thought leadership is, you know who, whose brand is behind it, and you know where to go when you're ready, when you have budget and you want to take it to the next level. And so I think that's like uh, a key thing right now is having somebody on, on staff whose job is almost, you know, thought leadership and evangelism, but they're the ones talking to these customers. And we have Brooke Simmons right now who does, uh, she's director of enterprise strategy, and she's kind of taken that role, uh, moved over from customer success rep. and I mean, it's, it's super powerful. The conversation mm. she has with enterprise customers that then formulates uh, the strategy that, you know, we can go to market with. And it's this like beautiful feedback loop that happens while leveraging and building your brand, um, you know, in, in thought leadership. So. And she uh, asked like one-on-one -on -one questions with these enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And she's, you know, she runs our customer advisory board, you know, so we get, you know, a lot of that. Um, yeah. So going back to the, you know, the original point is, um, if you want that touch, uh, that's a great way to take it to the next level is to not only have a voice of your customer, but yeah. to turn that into something that powers your brand. Total sense. Makes total sense, right? Not just getting the voice of your customer, but then leveraging that into content that you probably really need on the marketing side. And then that's content people want to read. Yeah, and that helps with brand and messaging on the product market side of the house. And that also helps with uh, demand gen because they create content yeah. and use as a lead magnet. And, you know, demand gen's worthless without, a, with, without content, without something to drive. Right. So you need the value drivers. Um, and this is a great way to create, like, original value drivers. That makes total sense. It, has Outreach done some of those lately? Those different yeah. surveys and polls? So uh unleash our big virtual event is next week may 4th to the 7th it's next week and you're able to talk to me now it's pretty it's pretty wild our close of the quarters tomorrow i don't know oh, why we're this right now but <laughs> i'm going like to be pushed it like a million times so we're making it happen uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'll be working till midnight the next like That's uh, it. you gotta close those deals man gotta get that stuff pushed over and then you got the conference coming up man things are hot right now yeah it's great yeah it's 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 good i mean i'm you know when you're when you're in this economy and everybody's losing your jobs, I will never feel bad for being overworked. Hundred uh, percent, right? Like, um, it's gonna be up. I'll work. I'll work late. No worries. We're hustling here, but yeah, um, we've got uh, the reason I brought that up is because we've got a benchmarking survey um, that we're doing a, a fairly big one, a robust one that Brooks running that's going out that whole week. Um, so um, our enterprise strategic teams are running that. So we'll have a big report for our customers coming out very soon and then we have a couple other um, webinar series and things that we've done around this already um you know in-depth blog posts uh which we use it for lead gen content as well um but this is the the, the report ebook that'll be uh, a much bigger um asset for us got it got it. tell me about the event coming up who who should attend what's the url for it all that jess yeah um what's the url i think it's go to unleash.outreach.io um that was for the the big conference so i think it'll redirect to the virtual event but um we do a three thousand person sales conference uh every year in uh, san diego it was supposed to be three thousand this year 
April 7th to the 9th, but um, we had to, you know, cancel it through. Yeah, right. Next year we'll go for for three to five thousand, based you know based on the growth of our um, our, our customers and our and our database. But uh, yeah, we've got an amazing sales conference that we do. We're taking it online called Unleash, and it's all about the most innovative you know tips, tactics, tricks, strategies, um, everything you can deploy for modern sales organizations. So we've got uh, Kelly Wright and Elisa Fink are uh, one of our keynotes doing a session and uh, Kelly Wright was the EVP sales, ran all sales for Tableau uh, and uh, Lisa Fink was the CMO, ran all marketing for Tableau from about zero to 1.2 billion in ARR. Wow. So, uh, you know, $15 billion exit to uh, Salesforce, they did pretty well. Um, but they're going through their kind of whole playbook and, and what they did and Elisa, uh, I've gotten to know very well. She's uh, been a mentor of mine, she's an advisor to outreach and wow. Uh, she is a wealth of knowledge. I mean, she's got so much and she's such just a cool person in general. And Kelly uh, is, an, uh, is a, a newer connection. I haven't spent as much time with her, but the time I have spent with her, I know she's got, you know, equally on the sales side, so much information in her head. So uh, that should be an amazing one. We got Mike Claydell, um, who runs sales for Amazon Web Services, which is the fastest growing SaaS company of all time, 36 billion in ARR. Yes. Uh, you know, I think they are growing at 50% year over year or something like that. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's incredible. So he's doing a session, um, fireside chat with our CEO, Manny Medina. Um, who else we got on there? We've got, um, uh, ops and, uh, sales leaders from zoom, uh, Adobe, Cisco, Facebook, um, AT&T, bunch of our, our customers. Um, chime in as well and it'll be it'll be content again on how to do lots of different things within the sales process from uh, ops uh, management leadership uh, and even individual reps and it's and it's not like you know how to's on outreach you don't have to be an outreach customer to to get value from it sick i i wonder you know what was it like to make this transition from in-person event to virtual and when did you make the call like yeah we got to do it is this a cursing show or no cursing show? No, well, you can definitely, this is, you know, this is marketing therapy. It was, sure. it was a pain in the ass. Yeah. yeah I mean, I um, we spent nine months playing a 3000 person conference in San Diego and it's our, you know, it's the big morale builder. It's the big, you know, closer for us. It's, it's huge for the company. I mean, it's our biggest marketing initiative by far. And, um, and we got back from London. We just did our, we launched our London office we got back from London the last day of February and we, you know, we saw Corona coming and it was coming quick. And we were like, there's no way we're going to be able to throw a conference in five weeks. Mm-hmm. And so we made that call uh, a couple business days later. I think we got back on a Friday and the next Tuesday we announced that, you know, we were going to have to cancel the show and, and turn it into a virtual event. And, you know, now that it's been going for a little while longer, like I'm not sure any conferences are going to happen until maybe this time next year. So like June of 2021, um, really, you think that long for the in person? Yeah, uh, I I don't see big conferences happening in the fall. Like even when things come back online, they're gonna phase. Yeah, you can't see ten thousand people or two thousand people or even a thousand people gathering together anytime this fall. You know, like yeah. Like, I was wondering about like Dreamforce. You know, like November, but probably not then either. You know, they haven't canceled yet because we are hearing that a lot of big companies have have put uh travel non-essential travel freezes in place through the end of the year yeah so like it's one of those things like if your biggest customers aren't going to come then like what's the point of doing the event type thing and we were we were kind of in that boat too with outreach we had already heard from folks that like yeah they were already freezing um you know through may so uh yeah anyways back to your question what was it like it was uh you know it was definitely sad the team was definitely deflated we had a lot of really cool things planned like badass parties and presenters nine months hard work down the drain yeah everybody's you know is 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 very demoralizing but we we were able to kind of um i think swing that in the other direction we were able to, to get the momentum back and get people pretty pumped up and and everybody understood why you know we had to do what we did and uh was fully behind it yeah um so from from that perspective like the morale perspective it it was definitely tough um unwinding a 
you know, multi-million dollar event is another thing. So we had, you know, our head of events focused on that while the rest of the team pivoted to figuring out how to plan a virtual event. So we needed software. It was a quick turnaround. We needed to make sure that like our, you know, our speakers could still do it and our, you know, content quality would be high. So right. uh, we got straight into that. We found, uh, we ended up going with Hey Summit, um, which uh, was um, a, a quick choice for us to move pretty fast on it. So we didn't but like, it's like built for these kind of virtual. We, and we didn't get into like a robust, you know, evaluation. Um, yeah. You don't have time really. Yeah. We had to pick something that, um, you know, was, was quick and easy and you know, to get up and running. So um, we're, uh, we're excited to see how it works. We've never done before, but we hear good things and so far so good. Um, and then uh, got into promotion. So we're now, we're up over 10,000 uh, registrants. Wow. So far. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. I know, I know digital stuff is doing well. Uh, right now, so webinars, podcasts are down because people aren't commuting. It's true. <laughs> yeah, but webinars are up, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it does. The only, um, the only like wild card that I've been thinking about in the whole thing is like how many people are going to attend the sessions because yeah. we promoted it for six weeks and there've been so many layoffs. If like people signed up with work emails, are those oh, true? The people not at those companies anymore, right? So. Um, We've got some uh, interesting nuances there that people, you know, don't usually have when they do virtual events. But and does it cost? Does does the event cost? Uh, yeah, this, the, we have software costs and stuff like that. But we've got sponsors. Well, I'm saying, like, to attend it, do you are your attendees? Okay, so you got that sort of, you know, free registration, but you know, how many people actually show up, and then. Um, you want as many as possible, but with a free event, people aren't as like, well, I spent money on that thing. They're like, oh. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, we chose to do a free event, um, and that's something we might look at in the future if we do this again. Um, we brought in sponsorships, uh, yeah. so we're, we're not giving, like, the full list to anybody, but people can sign up for sessions, and then we, you know, we're completely GDPR compliant, so we're, we're very good about that. Yeah. Um, I, I think what's interesting now is is – when will normal return and when it does or whatever version of normal returns, like do we continue doing a virtual event? Like if this goes really well, right. I want to do in-person unleash, but do we do like for the next unleash, do we do a hybrid? Like what are we going to learn from this? Mm. That is going to, that is going to like live on. So we were never worried about doing like a live stream of unleash content. Cause like people come for the content, but they also come for the networking. They come for yeah. the all that kind of stuff like it's an sko for the industry so. open bar come on exactly so like i'm not worried about cannibalizing our audience like we should yeah. still open up at least the key pieces of content for everybody else so like our product keynote our outreach our mm -hmm. you know our outreach keynote um and maybe a couple of the sessions you know the outreach on outreach sessions uh maybe we should open up but all the other ones like you have to come to the show for i don't know whatever is going to happen is has definitely been COVID has definitely moved the like timeline of, you know, best practices or where the world was going. Like yeah. we're clearly trending in this direction over the next five or 10 years. And it has like sped up. Like mm -hmm. these things are going to be virtual now or like have a virtual element to it. Yeah. You're going to zoom and like everything that you do. And that's just, you know, what it is. Right. So um, I actually have been saying for a long time, like cities aren't sustainable and people are going to be moving out of cities you know in the near future especially as re remote work uh, becomes like a real thing oh for sure yes that's sped up i thought that was like 10 20 years away but like, they're not they're not sustainable like being new york city and san francisco and, and these like big cities where people live on top of each other in shoe boxes for what just to because they have a better job in a you know an office space like you can do that anywhere right better air quality have better more sustainably raised you know animals that they eat farming you know stuff yeah. they, they consume um cities just uh have become unsustainable so yes yeah. up a lot no, of for sure it has marketing standpoint too. You know, question for you have you have you learned anything already even in the, the planning process of going virtual with this event i'm sure a lot of people are like gonna be all stumbling over themselves to try to go down this path and you know it, 
everyone's kind of flexible because it's it is what it is. You don't have other options. But any any sort of takeaways that you think were worth sharing? Um. Yeah. So, and you know, we can put their Thor hammer out and myth yep. up. Yeah, here it is. <laughs> uh, a lot of people think you need a lot of uh, speakers to make it like a better event, and you don't. You just need like a couple really good sessions. You don't need a hundred sessions. Mm. Uh, and uh, the reason why people think that is because they want to get as many registrations as possible. So they think that every speaker is going to promote, and that doesn't happen. Like I actually would rather have, as a as a, at least as a vendor doing this, I'd rather have, um, like ten or fifteen amazing speakers, amazing sessions, and then we as a like outreach as a vendor we spend our budget and do our thing promoting these then mm -hmm. go get like a hundred speakers like count on them for promotion uh and then you end up falling short because like i don't know reality is that like they've got a bunch of stuff going on like what why like they're not going to promote a lot of it like, mm -hmm. I, you know podcasts and webinars and things like this i do like if i aggressively promoted each one of them that's all my audience would see they would they'd stop following me they'd be like all right this is information overload or like it's always a promotion with you and like true with the free value that kind of stuff so true. Um, i think a lot of folks that have big networks think like that like if you go pay yeah. gary vaynerchuk to speak at your conference it doesn't come with promotion from gary vaynerchuk like right it's him to speak at your conference and, and like maybe you can negotiate like one or two tweets or like a LinkedIn post or something like that. Maybe, but it's not like he's going to be using his platform to you know, promote you for an entire month or something. I could see how people might think that. And they're like, well, let's just get him because he'll put one tweet out and everyone will sign up. But he's it's, not doing that. Yeah. But like, think about it. He's probably got 20 speaking engagements in the next yeah. quarter at, in, in usual times. He's not going to do that kind of effort for each one. So anyway, Back to the original point. Yeah, you only need like 10 or 15 really good speakers, mm. way less work, and then focus the rest on really good, you know, a really good promo plan from your brand, um, from your reps that are sending it out to customers as like a big value add. Um, and then spend the rest of the time on what, what are the other engagement things that you can do? Like, so we have a Slack channel. Mm. It's gonna be active the week before, the week of the event, and then a couple weeks after. For attendees so they can like network and talk in there and, and in that slack channel there are going to be amas happening so like if there's on-demand content we're going to set a time that like at 2 p.m on tuesday uh the the um speaker from this on-demand session is going to be in there answering questions oh, that's cool that's really cool so there's like this separate q a session you could like go watch their on-demand session and then pop into the slack at two on tuesday and you can ask them any questions like um, you said about this, you know, piece that, you know, X, Y, and Z was going to happen, but what if you sell to this audience? They can get clarification, you know, so that if there was a more blanket statement or a general statement or something that might not work for them, they can, you know, they can dig in more. So yeah. I think there has to be a level of, you know, some kind of networking, but also engagement with the speakers. Um, and then, you know, allows us to, you know, as outreach to engage with uh, the attendees who sign up for the Slack channel. So we'll see how many we get in there. Um, we'll see how many videos we, you know, people actually watch. Like we, we want attendance to be as high as possible. We got 10,000 registrants. We don't expect 10,000 people to right. watch videos, you know? So, you know, we're probably going to see 20 to 25% um, watch live. So meaning like when we, we play the keynote at like 11 AM to noon, mm -hmm. we expect 20 to 25% to actually be on there at 11 to noon or whatever. Okay. And we'll have uh, maybe 50 to 60% um, watch a session at some point in time. So like on-demand content. Watch the recording kind of thing, that timeless content. Yeah. I think we'd be happy with those numbers. Um, Your point, like how crazy would that be if, if you get similar results, even if they're just less, but they're close. You're like, wow, we, we didn't spend that huge budget we had on that event and kind of did the same thing. It'd be interesting to see what, what happens. Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons why you still do the in-person one. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of things that we're not going to get out of this. I mean, that was well, the biggest thing about an in-person conference is we invite executives from mm. that we're in or closing or like big expansions and they get time with our executives. And yeah. It's a, a, like a big 
boardroom and you get to talk with them and meet them in person and show them like what or what the experience with outreach is all about right as we as we continue to scale there's going to be bigger and bigger players getting into our space that are going to spend way more money than us on you know similar things and yeah our moats uh, be our understanding of the customer and their workflow uh, as number one and number two is going to be the community and the experience that we provide to people who are dedicated in the space. So if you're a salesperson or a sales ops person and um, you know, you're going to go to one event a year, we want you to go to unleash, you know, right. if you're follow content religiously and go to one site every day. We want you to go to sales hacker and yeah. the experience that you have with our brand that like when it comes time and you go to a new company and they say, Hey, we're going to choose between outreach and you know, somebody else or whatever. You're like, oh, we gotta go to outreach. Like, right. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, they're a little bit more expensive. The product's much better. But like the experience is amazing. Mm. Like, you wanna be a customer, right? You wanna be part of it. You wanna feel like you're part of that story. And that's why Dreamforce is so big. And I think they also, there's also a gap right now with Salesforce, which is um, when you try to be everything to everybody, you like aren't anything to anybody. You know, it's like, right? Mm. right? It's like, um, if, if you focus too much outside of sales as the business, then like the salespeople don't actually feel special. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I mean, the core of it is sales closing deals. Yeah. But then there's all those other things when you, when you start focusing, at least, you know, I love hanging out in the marketing world and that ties in, you're part of the same revenue team, but when you just keep extending and doing more and more things and gobble up more companies, it, it can be a challenge. You don't want to make your sales team feel like they're forgotten. Definitely. And the people that go to the event, I mean, it was, it used to be a sales company and a sales conference, it's called yeah. sales, right? But now it's customer 360, like that Tableau and MuleSoft and all those types of things. Right. Um, Who goes to it, right? And then it's already packed and already tinned. The sale that used to be this, it's like sales conference for salespeople, the big one. All this, everybody in sales went. And now people are like, oh, well, it's not really all for sales anymore. So like, oh, we're gonna skip it this year. Cause you yeah. really Salesforce, that's like, we want to take that space. Interesting. And then uh, maybe Salesforce will start to, you know, refocus on things for different, you know, different niches of their audience. But, right. Um, I don't know, they're, they're a great marketing business and always have been and, you know, respect a ton of people over there. So I'm sure they'll figure it out. But we, we, yeah. we feel like there's a, um, you know, there's an audience that lives in outreach and loves outreach and, and, you know, we want to be there for them in person. So right. no matter how well the virtual event does, I, I think when we get back to whatever the new normal is, um, you know, we'd love to still keep doing um, the in-person events. Yeah. I think there's a the kind of person that just always, I know I'm one of them where I just, it's cool doing zoom meetings, but something just, I can recognize that there's something missing. Uh, there's something else, you know? Yeah. And some people are totally cool with it. Hey, stay at home. I don't know if you've seen the different, you know, where you've got an introvert and extrovert living together and uh, introverts like totally happy. Like, oh, the, we got extended another month for quarantine. Sweet. Let me pull up Netflix. I'm all over this. And then the extrovert's like, oh my gosh, I'm like, you want to play cards? Like <laughs> I need, I need some, some human contact here. So I think there's just I hate kinds it. of people. And it's funny because if before it happened, I would have been like, oh man, I'd love to get off the road for a month. Right now that I'm in it, I'm like, oh man, I would, I would happily get on a flight to a British Airways flight to uh, London right now. Yeah, which I hate British Airways, but yeah, right. Uh, I'd even go to New Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah. That's nothing else. New Jersey. That's the only one I can I can throw out there. Everyone else, I'm I'd be happy to go to anytime. But even now, I will go to you, New Jersey. I will. I will go to your shores. Uh, <laughs> just get me out of the house. Yeah. Well, hey, question for you. Um, I know we're all kind of focused on the here and now. What's your thought on just the future? I mean, we talked a little bit about it now. Maybe it changes, maybe not. Is there anything that's exciting you about the future? How are you sort of like mentally wrapping yourself around you know, the short term and, and like the long term? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty. So yeah. nobody really knows what the future is going to hold and when this thing is going to. Um, not only reopen, but, you know, start bouncing back and you know, there'll be the beginning right. of the bounce back, but when's this, when are we going to get back to, to where we were? Um, I don't know. 
I mean, there's a lot, a lot is going to change. I think there are some really big companies right now considering closing a lot of their offices. What do we need yeah. the space? People are onboarding just fine remotely. Yeah. Um, and that's going to, that's going to push, you know, like we talked about before, push people out of cities. Why am I paying this ridiculous rent? My office doesn't need me in the city anymore. Right. All, all I do is smell gas fumes from the car. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not exactly sustainable. So I, I do think it's going to open up a lot more of um, a lot more of the country, which is mm -hmm. really interesting. Um, and probably keep people on the ground more. So less travel, uh, which means less face to face time, no matter what, which means you're going to have to find ways to, to supplement that. So yeah. the, the two things that are probably hurting the most from any company right now are rep onboarding, um, which is, you know, which is, Notoriously been hard to do remotely. People want mm -hmm. people on site to, to get on. Board. And then the other thing is uh, trust and rapport. Yeah. So, you know, people do field marketing events and people, and people do um, field sales and like face to face, like, you know, hey, you got to get on site. Have you been on site yet? Um, they go meet them face to face because it builds that trust, it builds that rapport. Right. So, what are the ways you can do that now? So, uh, SDR onboarding and, and sales onboarding, um, it's about building a really good. Uh, plan through sales enablement. It's about having a stack that is set up. Um, you know, we drink our own champagne, so our outreach gets people onboarded very quickly. Um, we use a couple of different things from the enablement side of the house, but um, making sure the tech stack is there, making sure you know IT uh, is working to you know send out fully loaded laptops and everything else that people need to you know work from home, yeah. uh, and that you know Okta is set up and all the other things. And, um, and then from there, it's about setting up your reps with, you know, their pods with other reps so that they can learn from people on the fly. Right. Um, we have role-playing, we have other things that we do to, to, you know, keep people, uh, continuously up-leveling and, and learning, um, so they can be onboarded and ramped as fast as possible. So I think that's one of the things that, um, will be refined over time is, mm -hmm. you know, rep ramp and onboarding. Uh, because that's not going to be in, in person for a very long time and it may, may never need to be again. And then there's the trust and the rapport side of things. So um, I think referral selling will become a, a pretty big topic. Um, leveraging your VCs, leveraging your board, leveraging your current customers, leveraging mm -hmm. um, uh, current and uh, past employees even, as long as they're obviously happy. But right. ways to, to, get in, uh, to get into companies with kind of like this pre-built trust and rapport um, is going to be you know, the, the future because it's going to take over for what you're missing, not being able to build that trust and rapport um, when you could have in the past. Yeah. I, I can imagine, you know, more and more video too, just trying to show our, our honest faces to our honest customers and, and uh, where maybe people were shy earlier. Now it's kind of like, well, what else do we have? I, you need to have another level higher of communication than just a phone, you know? Yeah, executive alignment will also, will also be key. Yeah. Uh, so I'll have to find ways to do that. And then uh, this Zoom thing is not sustainable either. Like I, I can't, this like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. back-to-back Zooms, like I can't stare at a screen this long. Like, I know, right? So everybody's trying to reconfigure their schedules to understand how, like how they work best. I think that'll be the future. Also, not everybody's going to work nine to five, even eight hours, five days a week, you know, might not be a thing in the future. So mm -hmm. one of the things I'm doing right now, and we've got a, we've got an eight month old and it's just me and my wife. And obviously there's no way for us to get help or a nanny right now. Cause we're not letting anybody in the house for, you know, good quarantine. Um, but I'm doing uh, 9 a.m. to, what am I doing? 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Thursday, Friday as my like on and meeting hours. And then I have, um, once I put everybody to bed at night, I go back on for like another two, three hours. Oh, right. So works pretty well, and I can provide support in the morning and provide support in the afternoon um, to, to the wife and the baby. And then I can get back on when everybody goes to sleep and, and finish my yeah. day. Um, I think that's that's going to be the future as well. Kind of everybody's going to work remotely. Well, it's like why stop there? Like people should be able to work in the way that they work best, 
not like dedicated hours. The only things that overlap for our, you know, certain number of meetings per week. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely sensed that, that difference and that change where you, I'm on more meetings now, I feel like than more zooms than I, than I was before. And I, I was, our company's remote anyway. So, but somehow more of that's happening and less phone calls and you're right. You, you could easily work yourself, you know, seven to six and be like, what am I doing? And you're still at your home and nothing's really, so it's kind of figuring out how to adapt to all that. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I found um, my daughter, um, she's giving me tap dance lessons. Uh, it's a way to do like a father daughter thing. And, uh, and she's like the strict teacher. And so every morning before work, I'll do that with her. Come to find out it's actually a workout too. I'm like, after I'm like, do you sweat as much in your class? <laughs> um, I didn't time with the sun in the afternoon, but at least trying to block off some things. If I'm going to be home, might as well, you know, make the use of it kind of thing. I got like a pair of 15 pound weights right here. I like to sit here and be on Zooms. I'm doing yeah. this right now. So I crank out over here. I switch from like standing to sitting. Then I can go outside for a little bit. Right. Uh, you know, I, as long as I have sunlight, um, I'm pretty happy. And we're, in, we're riding this thing out in Scottsdale, Arizona. So it's been, been sunny, but it's also been 105 degrees. Yes. Uh, so hot that nothing can live outside. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully it's killing the virus. That's, that's for sure right man well who who are you man like who 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 is max like take us back to like the the little the little max days um who are you how'd you become this like sage of all things sales and marketing and um you know what, what was it like growing up being you yeah uh grew up on long island uh syosset long island um the good thing i didn't say you know you didn't say jersey because then we would have like this awkward <laughs> moment well, I, I got like close to the accent, yeah. So you're close, but I wasn't <laughs> back there either, so it's okay. I don't. I uh, I graduated high school at, at 18, and I applied to college, and I only applied to six colleges in the southwestern United States. Mm. So I'm not a I'm not a cold weather up north. I mean, getting me on a plane to go to New Jersey or Long Island or anything is not my my cup of tea anyway. So, um, you're good there. But uh, yeah, so I grew up. I grew up out there. Um, my uh, my big thing was hockey. I was a big hockey player growing up. Nice. What position? Defense. Oh, so you're skating backwards all the time. Skating backwards and uh, shooting the puck really hard from far distances. Uh, right. I, I, I was um, I was a little bit more rogue. I would take the puck up uh, quite a bit and have somebody drop back and cover right. me. I, I liked it, um, and I was pretty good growing up, so that was my thing. My dad was a financial advisor, worked for himself, um, so it's just him, you know, small shop. And I think that's where I learned a lot of, like, relationship management stuff. Yeah. Like, being in sales, because financial advisor is just a, a money therapist. <laughs> so, right. you know, and, I, and I don't know if he'd ever say that, but, like, that's what I saw it as. His job was to comfort people in a key area of their business, which was, you know, money. And then obviously put that to use and then there's a whole other side of that, which is being good at the actual job. Right. But a lot of that job is like, don't touch your money. You're fine. You're going to be okay. Your family's going to, you know, you're not going to have to work when you're 80 years old. Just don't touch it. Right. It, Especially right now. Yeah. Well, you know, they say investments are like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the more it disappears. <laughs> Noted. Things go up. Like that's it. Like in a whole history of time, like things have gone up. If you, Put stuff in safe if you put things in safe stuff it'll it'll be it'll be good but uh but he was good at his job and he took some 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 things that worked out for him but um he taught me a lot about relationships yeah people and as a financial advisor people that you have even the people you have happy and building relationships with them and being you know somebody that becomes a confident friend and whatnot and so that's how i look at it so i, I guess i always had this ingrained in me from a young age where you know he taught me a lot about relationships a lot about in that case you know sales and how people work and the psychology behind um how people can make decisions and things like that whether he meant to do it or not um i played hockey and the reason why i brought this up is i played hockey uh growing up and we would uh we'd have travel tournaments and things like that. So i spent a lot of time and the dad and he'd talk to me about work right what he did so i i, I think i picked up a lot during that 
So that's little Max. That's where I ended up. I was also always an entrepreneur. My dad worked for himself, had his own shop. But yeah. Uh, yeah, my my first sales story was he got a call from the principal when I was in um, elementary school, and I was selling my Halloween candy on the school bus. The principal's like, we like you, we like his enterprising spirit, but uh, he's not allowed to do that. So um, kids would get money for school supplies from the school bookstore. Instead, they were spending it on Skittles and Milky Ways and Snickers and stuff that I was, you know, picking out of my uh, Halloween candy bucket. And uh, when I'd go trick or treating, I, you know, I'd get all my candy, and my parents would put it on top of the refrigerator every day. But I knew how to climb up on the cabinet and take it off the top of the refrigerator. So I'd take a handful and put it in my backpack and sell it on the bus. So that was pretty funny. So anyway, uh, graduated college, um, started a bike share program uh, at Arizona State while I was while I was finishing up school. Uh, won a business plan grant through the university for that. Uh, it would have been the first bike share program in the U.S. Um, they had them in like Barcelona and, and London and, and Paris at the time, but um, we just thought Arizona was flat. It was hot. They weren't making good use of the far parking lots, and people wanted these bikes, but they didn't want to like bring them in their cars so there had to be a, an alternative there and it was a sprawling campus you know, 75,000 students at the time now it's about 120,000 it's the largest Jeez. university in the country so it's hard to get around I mean you could park if you parked in the far lot because that's where your parking pass was and your class was across campus you had to get there a half hour early to walk across campus oh wow so bike share program would have been great didn't work out um nobody was giving three 22 year olds uh that kind of money in 2009 after a recession. So right. started another business uh, called Last Call Social, which was capitalizing on the whole trend of Yelp, Foursquare, Facebook for Business, and all these businesses needing social media accounts. Started that business, ran it from Nicaragua and Costa Rica for at a great time, but then uh, realized we needed to get real with life. To <laughs> uh, a job at Udemy, which was an online education. Did you have like frequent trip trips down south, business expense trips to like Nicaragua and? Well, we'd live there, so we oh, just like straight up lived yeah. there. Our goal was to make American money while living abroad. Our whole goal goal with the business. So we started wow. this business. We knew we could run it from anywhere, charge people in the states American money, and then you live in Costa Rica and Nicaragua. So if you're charging a client like five k a month. And you've got five of those and you're making 25 grand a month and it's, you know, you're down there with like you and two of your friends, three of your friends, you can live like a king. Yeah. It's not, you know, it wasn't that, that hard for us to do, except there's like a, there's a, a ceiling to that business where it gets to be like, okay, first of all, this isn't going to be like a huge thing. Like, let's go get serious about something. Second of all, like we were drinking a lot of coffee and then a lot of alcohol. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was a lot, it was fun. It was five months of fun. I was 23 or something like that. I do. Parlayed that into a job at Udemy, which is an online education marketplace. They just raised it a two billion dollar valuation, but I was like the I think it was the eighth employee or something like that, fifth wow. in the U.S. and we had like three in Turkey, and uh, built out the supply, the sales side of that marketplace. So I was in charge of kind of building our initial sales process, hiring out the team, wow. and that's kind of where I, I cut my teeth and made my name. I didn't mean to. I was just doing some really hacky stuff. I was like. I looked at all the sales processes that are out there. I was like, why does it have to be that way? I uh, augmented the, the you know, sales process um, with a lot of technology, virtual assistants in the Philippines as my sure. SDRs. Um, we were on a Tout Apps first customers, which was like an early sales engagement platform that no longer exists. Um, we were using a lot of these like, you know, hacky data sites that gave us everything that we needed. Um, we were scraping sites with, you know, Python to, go pull information from let's say like um all the best-selling authors so they could teach courses online and then i started writing about the stuff that we were doing and people started taking note and our growth was good so founders and other vcs kept coming to us and how we were doing it and our founders kept pushing people over to me right I built a team for myself doing that i, I you know called sales hacker and i started and then eventually did a conference and then eventually that turned into uh, meetups in 32 cities globally and a, you know, a publication online and a small, and, and we did a big conference, a joint conference with Salesforce that we're the only company they ever did that with. And then, um, I ran a Saster annual for the first two years with Jason Lemkin. Yeah. That was for me. And, you know, like I said, in the beginning, this, 
I never really had like, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to go in this direction. I'm going to do this thing. It was just, it's a cash flow business. I had a great lifestyle and doors would open and I'd be like, hmm, let's, let's try this out. Let's see if this is interesting. Um, so just kind of meandered around. And then in uh, 2018, um, I, oh, so I, I had started doing investing, angel investing and advising for companies during Sales Hacker and my first year yeah. to outreach. Um, no and, kidding. Yeah. So in their seed round, I met Manny in, a, in Union Square in San Francisco. Uh, we had an orange juice and a croissant because um, I, I don't do coffee. I've been caffeine free for uh, eight years. Is that ever since South America? Or? No. No. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that happened in 2012. So cutting down on vices is a good thing. So no, uh, so no more coffee ever? No. no. I don't drink caffeine at all. What about alcohol? Alcohol is my last vice. Okay, so we still got that one. So if you had to give up one, you gave up coffee. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's actually medically what happened. I went to Vegas for a weekend, and I drank I drink a lot of coffee during the weeks back yeah. then. And then I went to Vegas for a weekend. I was doing like Red Bull and vodka and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I got back uh, on Sunday, and then Monday I couldn't find my balance. I had like a fever. Um, it was like really kind of looked like shit so i go to the hospital and uh they they said your liver enzymes are off the chart you have to uh stop coffee and alcohol immediately and indefinitely wow so i did that and then they're like come back in three weeks and get your stuff checked again so i came back in three weeks got everything checked again they're like okay your liver is like restabilized all's good good cut down on both or, or continue you know to be stopped Three weeks is the withdrawal mark uh, of, of when you have like withdrawal symptoms for any real, like for any drug. So, um, and I have like real withdrawal symptoms from. Really? Uh, yeah, I can tell it's from the caffeine. But once what, get, what was it like? Were you just like the sweating and the. Migraines, migraines uh, super like lethargic. Yeah. Um, yeah, feverish, uh, all that kind of stuff. But then after the three weeks, I get back on alcohol. I never got back on caffeine. And I, I feel great. I do a green juice every day. Oh, nice. Juice, a green juice. I do a spa water now. I love working from home. I do a little spa water. I got enough water in me. Nice. I mean, hydration is so key anyways, right? And like It is. And caffeine's a drug. I mean, like, people yeah. don't say, but, like, caffeine's a drug. Um, so, anyway, caffeine-free. But, uh, yeah, where was I? So, so met Manny in Union Square and became an early investor. Uh, fast forward to 2018. So that was 2015. Fast forward to 2018. They just raised a $65 million Series D. And I went to Unleash uh, that year and you know said to Manny, hey, congrats on the round. What keeps you up at night? And he said, marketing. And I said, well, I've got a media company. We know what we're doing. Mm. We've got best-in-class software in the same space. Let's make this thing happen. So uh, oh. we did. We got a deal done. Three months later, I was the VP of marketing, running the marketing team, um, and that was not that was not intentional for me to, to run the marketing team. I was supposed to come in and do uh, community ecosystem, um, you know, a lot of our fixing some of the stuff that we had been doing, a lot of thought leadership evangelism. Yeah, but, uh, ended up installing me as the VP of marketing. So we hired a, a CMO, which we hired a year later. So a lot of interesting and unique experience running marketing for you know a thirty-person team and a you know, eight figure plus marketing budget. And, wow. uh, and you know, we, we doubled that year. So, Jeez. yeah. Well, if, if you hypothetical for you, if you could hop in a time machine and go back to um, like the beginning of your career, like you just graduated school and you could advise yourself on some things, yeah. you could tell yourself to not do something or start doing something like what, what kind of things would you tell yourself? Yeah, so I, I randomly wrote a book called Career Hacking for Millennials. And nice. And one of my key mantras in that is your 20s are for learning and your 30s are for earning. And I think too many times people come out of college and they get anxious. They're like not making as much money as their friends or whatnot. And especially if you're going down the entrepreneurship route, like you're going to sacrifice earning early in your career. Like I have friends that got out of college and they had accounting degrees or, you know, whatever it was. And they, they got into the six-figure range, like, pretty quickly. Mm, wow. But their peak 
in that job their entire career is going to be in the six-figure range. So, like, you can do that if you want to. Or if you go down the entrepreneurship route um, or you want to be an executive at a, you know, startup or something like that, then you got to get in and learn and you've got to optimize and you're not going to get to the six-figure mark for quite a while because you're at early-stage companies that don't have a lot of money. Right. You know, you want to start one on your own. And be okay with that because your peak is uncapped. It's unlimited. There's, you know, it's right. a feeling as to where you can go. So it depends what you want out of your life. If you want safety and stability and, you know, you want to make $500,000 a year in your 40s and 50s and then retire at 60 and, you know, you've got a condo in Florida and a condo in, uh, you know, Long Island or something like that and you do a snowboarder, great. Like, go do that, work till 60 and you'll have that safety and you'll have that you know, that track. But if you you like, you know, want to start your own company or be an executive at a startup and take the company public or something like that, um, have a different experience, different quality of life, but have a lot more risk. You really got to optimize for learning. So, you know, Mm -hmm. the biggest uh, decision I made in my entire career was getting that job at Udemy. My first salary was, uh, it was like $30,000 a year. And, but I learned so much from being there from being in an early stage company and seeing how the saucer was made because I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So getting in there, seeing how it's done and then being able to do that on your own later was, you know, an incredible, incredible experience and route for me. And, and I wanted to take some risk. I, I, I didn't have a, I don't want to be working in my forties and fifties uh, because I have to, I want yeah. to do it because like I want to and I'm doing, you know, cool things, fun things that like I like doing. And then my dad made a big impression on me, you know, taking me to all those hockey games, driving me around. I want to do that for my kids too. Yeah. Be there for them and have the, and choose to do that. And then do, do work that entertains you and it's fun and it doesn't feel like work even. You just, you're playing around having a good time. My kid's eight months old. I said, when, when she turns six, I'm off the road. So I've got, I've got five more years of the current version of, max after that like i'm not flying to conferences and doing all that kind of stuff the same way that i'm doing right now right yeah different ball i I gotta just turn seven now i've got a eight and seven and yeah i I will say though you you may you may find it a nice rest to get back on the road (laughs) uh, from the six-year-old uh but you're right definitely being at home you know whatever to your point whatever's important to you you know whatever you want for your from your life three maybe four weeks at every month if i can see right so that's different yeah i I would that's what i want like god on the road either zero or one like maybe every other month i'm gone for a week okay yeah yeah that's what i want i don't know it ebbs and flows i could i could totally see myself doing like uh doing that for a little bit and then realizing that i need more and i don't know but well i mean how are you enjoying this now right (laughs) if you'd stuck at home i don't like this Right, <laughs> you know, but this is extreme. Like it this, is. It is. You know, you're stuck with two, one mini person and one large, you know, human person, normal sized person, and nothing else. Right. Nothing so it's a little bit different. Yeah, a little surreal. Definitely yeah. a wild experiment. Yeah. Um, well, hey man, where can people connect with you? Where Where do you want people to reach out and? and yeah. Uh, Check out Outreach if you're looking uh, to, you know, better your sales team and uh, better efficiency. Um, outreach.io is the place to go. And then uh, Sales Hackers, our B2B uh, publication. we got about 166,000 uh, B2B salespeople subscribed um, to uh, Sales Hacker. We do webinars, podcasts, things like that. Uh, and then um, LinkedIn is the place to contact me. That's got it. Yeah. Don't be a weirdo. Don't look like one of the spammers. Say like, hey, heard you on the podcast or something yeah. a human would say. Yeah, don't try and sell me LinkedIn lead gen services. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> when those people try to connect with me, and they're like, I, have, I do LinkedIn lead services. I'm like, yes, I'm about to become the lead. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not working. So like, yeah, right. Work. You're not doing a good job of the thing you're telling me you're going to do for me. Right, terrible job. I'm not gonna connect with you. Exactly. <laughs> this has been awesome, man. Thanks for thanks for coming on here and just like sharing your story, your wisdom, some of the learnings, all that jazz. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And for those listening, if you learned something, and I know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back, uh, share this with someone. Be a thought leader. Get this information other hand, people's hands. And if you know anyone in the sales world, or if you're in sales, like check out Unleashed. It's coming up. It's next week, right? Yeah. So this, uh, by the time this thing comes out, it's probably like in a couple days. So like, go check it out and uh, and sign up, everybody. Max, thanks again, man. I know you're super busy, and I appreciate your time today. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Awesome. For everyone out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll catch you all next time. All right. A big thank you to today's sponsors. Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win, maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway. If you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to Qualified.com, engage in the chat, do a demo, and tell them that Casey sent you, and that book will be on its way to your door. All right. We'll see you all in the next one.